What about the fruit? What about the fruit? And I believe that God is saying something similar to us at this point in time. What about the fruit? We as an evangelical church, we as a believers uh, in scripture in particular, will know that there is an ongoing revelation. We believe the word of God was, the, what was written down in the Bible was the, is the written word of God. It was God breathed. It originally came from God. We know that there are scriptures which say like this from Proverbs, prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But although there is a revelation of what God uh, said at that time, there is a gradual development of that relationship and revelation which comes on. There is an ongoing revelation which takes place. And often these things are a shadow of what was really intended. They're a shadow, Scripture says, of things to come. They're a copy or a shadow of what is in heaven. They're a shadow of good things to come. And although these things that were hidden in the Old Testament are now being revealed in the New, there is also a gradual revelation that is still taking place. There is an ongoing revelation of what is taking place. And throughout the Old Testament, if you read it through, you will find that God speaks of the people of Israel as being a vineyard a fruitful vineyard. Isaiah's song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 speaks of God giving his best care and attention to this vineyard, preparing it and taking care of it. He watched over the people of Israel with great attentiveness and planted the best vines with the potential of abundant fruit. Abundant grapes from this vineyard. See, God had great expectations of his people. And as a result, the bad fruit that came from his people, the bad fruit that was produced by the people of Israel, he was very disappointed with. Their unrighteous deeds were very evident. He said they were useless. And he was disappointed. He was disappointed in the people of Israel. In a similar way that God had great expectations of Israel to be fruitful, he now expects his church as the new Israel to also be fruitful. And that's not just the, the church in general. That is each one of us, specifically, you and me. He expects to be fruitful. Turn with me to Mark 11. An interesting chapter. And an even more interesting quote from Scripture. Mark 11 and verses 11 to 21. This talks about a fig tree. And I don't know whether you've been like me, that you, you read this story about Jesus cursing the fig tree and you think, why on earth did he do that? It says the fig tree produced no fruit, had no figs, but 
It also says that it wasn't the time to produce figs. And yet Jesus cursed it. I think we need to read this story here in Mark 11 and see the context of which it is in. See, I don't believe that Jesus cursed the fig tree just because it lacked fruit, but rather it was a prophetic act that Jesus was doing. You see in verse 11 of Mark 11, it talks about the temple. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. Then the story goes on about the fig tree. And then again in verse 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling. And he overturned the tables, the money changes that were taking place there. And this story of the fig tree is like bookends with a story book in the middle. The temple at one end, the story of the cursing of the fig tree in the middle, and the temple at the other end. Although in this passage that we're reading here, we find that there is the story of the Jesus' dismay and disappointment with what was going on in the temple, in the worship there. The temple provides the bookends to the story. And here Jesus is judging the temple and the worship in the temple, which was fruitless. He found no fruit in the worship of the people. At the beginning of Mark 13, a bit later on in the passage, we read about the future destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. This was the prophetic act that was taking place. In cursing the fig tree, he was really cursing, to some extent, the people of Israel and their fruitlessness. And I believe, if you look at church history, you will find that the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple, and the fall of Jerusalem was a real turning point in the history of the Christian church when the dispersal took place from Jerusalem. A critical time in the church's history. And we've already made mention already this morning in our service about the strategic planning that's taking place and starting to take place regarding an apostolic house in this place. And I believe, likewise, this is going to be a turning point in the history of Hope Community Church. This is the new season which we've been talking about. This is the rhythm that we've been hearing about this morning. This new rhythm and new season is that turning point. And we're linking it here with being fruitful, being a fruitful people. Being fruitful is important to Jesus. He says, by their fruit you will recognise them. It is by our fruit that we will know who we are. It's not the display that I saw on that apple tree. It's not the leaves. It's not the shape. It's not the colour that's there. It's the fruit that is important. By their fruit, you will recognise them. And although here in this passage, God, Jesus is speaking to the, uh, about false prophets in Matthew 7 and verse 20, the same need for fruitfulness is to be with us. It applies to us today. Jesus was saying that you can identify people by their fruit or the way that they act. And hence, it's by our actions. So what we do must match our words. 
It's not just what we say, it's what we do and who we are that's important. It was emphasised that our words must reflect the true condition of our heart. You see, the nature of the tree is determined by the fruit. If the tree is good, it will produce good fruit. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. It's that simple. Just as the fruit indicates the nature of the tree, so our lives indicate the nature of who we are. The good and the bad fruit in this passage refers to moral behaviour. But James also makes a similar statement about our words. Remember that passage in James 3 verse 12 when he says, Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? This is all about our speech as well. You remember John the Baptist when he was speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders when he was starting off on his ministry. He told them that they needed to prove by their actions and their lives that they had repented. Literally, that passage, if you, if you look at the Greek, it says the fruit, they needed to have fruit in accordance, fruit of repentance that they had turned to God. You see, lip service by itself is no good. Lip service will not do. Jesus said, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. By our actions, we will be known. This is part of the fruit of who we are. We can say that we are Christians. We can say and appear. We have the appearance. We go to church. We do all the right things. But where is the fruit? Where is the fruit? Jesus also told the leading priests and the elders, the religious people of that time, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to people who produce proper fruit. That is a life of trust and obedience that demonstrates the inauguration of the kingdom. Mention was made again, I said this morning, of an apostolic house. A very simple description of that, a very basic, would be something that has to do with the teachings and relates to the apostles. It demonstrates a life and heart of obedience. It's all about obedience. Jesus' great commission at the very end of his life was to go into, tell us to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've said. There is a need for obedience. There needs to be the fruit of obedience in our lives. And you know, sometimes we've fallen into the trap of seeing this great commission as simply about evangelism. We've approached it as convert getting. How many people can we get in to tick the box to say that they've made the decision? They've become a Christian. In Scripture, there's no mention of converts, only disciples. No one 
apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. No one apart from God himself can convert anybody. We need to aim for disciples. Not simply people who make decisions. See, Bible, biblical evangelism is not about winning people. It's not about winning people to Christ, but making disciples of Christ. And part of the problem with Western Christianity is that we've got many believers in our church as opposed to disciples. We need to have disciples of Christ. And part of this role in the Great Commission, as I said before, is teaching them, teaching people to obey what Jesus has commanded them. You see, discipleship is more than just knowing about Christ. It's, not, it's more than knowing about God. Even the demons know God, but they're still demons. They confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and yet they're still demons. We must hold to the teachings of Jesus if we are really to be his disciples. Look at the story of uh, John 15. You'd expect me to uh, make mention of this in some way about the vine. John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. John 15 and verse 5. You see, in the natural, a living branch produces clusters of grapes. A growing disciple in whom the Father and the Son are living through the Spirit must be continuously connected to Christ in order to bear fruit. This is what this passage is all about. If you want to bear fruit, then you need to be connected to Jesus. And those who claim to be attached to Christ but yield no fruit are useless and will be burned. And unfortunately, this is going to be the story of my apple tree. Uh, we've had perhaps very few real fruit or decent fruit on the tree. And uh, I think we've come to the conclusion that this is the last year that we're going to have this apple tree. And at some point in time, this tree will be cut down and got rid of and we'll put something else there. Um, I suspect that it won't be me that cuts it down from previous experience. But this apple tree is not producing the fruit that we need for this big area that it covers. And we will cut it down and it will be got rid of. And Jesus says that if the fruit is not if the tree is not producing any fruit, it will be cut down and it's useless and it will be burned. Gardeners cut away dead branches and trim the healthy branches that they will produce much more fruit. And I think we need to do that it's to God's glory that we bear fruit. This is what it's all about. Bearing fruit is not bearing fruit so that we can get the glory. Bearing fruit is to God's glory. And therefore, if we bear fruit, we give God the glory and God gets the glory. True disciples will experience a transforming 
fruit-bearing life because they live in relationship of love with both Jesus and the Father. If you look at John 15, verse 16, in the Amplified Version, Jesus says this. He says, I have chosen you, appointed you, I have planted you, that you might go and bear fruit and keep on bearing, that your fruit may be lasting, that it might remain and abide. This is your purpose and destiny. Wow. I have chosen you, appointed you, and I have planted you that you might go and bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit, that your fruit may be lasting and might remain and abide. This is something which is for us. This is our purpose. This is our destiny. This is your destiny to be a fruitful people to bear fruit in these days. If you remember the creation story way back there in Genesis, on the third day, what happened? On the third day of creation, God spoke into being plants and trees that grew seed-bearing fruit that produced the kind of plants and trees from which they came. Right there, there is in creation that ongoing production of fruit. That's God, that was God's original intention. And that just as we were made in his, his image, we should produce other people who are also made in God's image. You see, the fruit contains the seed, which is the means of providing ongoing life. There is a sense of producing other people that are like us. There is a need to keep on going. You don't produce the fruit just for itself. There is an ongoing aspect of this fruitfulness that there would be other. We need to produce other fruitful people. You need to produce other fruitful people as well. See, in the natural, the good fruit is produced without any effort on behalf by a good tree. But the fruit of the Spirit does not come into being quite that automatically. Regularly, it requires something on the Christian's part. It demands a heeding to the commands of Scripture and a cooperation with the Holy Spirit in his work in the believer's life. And the declaration of Scripture, the declaration of the Bible, is that this fruit is the production of the Holy Spirit and must be balanced by other aspects of Scripture. We need to work in cooperation with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And here at Hope Community Church, we're not so much concerned with growing like the tree, that it would look good, that it would look big, it would look shapeful, it would look beautiful. It's not about growing in numbers or growing in activity, but more about people growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Growing in the fruit of the Spirit. In the Greek, the word for fruit, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that, that word is karpos. But the interesting part about it is that it's a word which is in the singular. It's not fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular description. 
And it could read like this. But the single fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what this means that all of these fruits should be in your life. All of these freights together should be in your life as a unit. If you're a Christian, then all nine of those things listed are already yours in the Spirit of God. You have it already. It's there implanted in you. But is it growing? Is it developing? Is it being evident? Is it fruitful? You see, none of us are perfect. And we have all got areas of improvement. All of us need areas of improvement. And so when you look back, when you look back over your lives, perhaps since you've become a Christian, can you ask yourself, am I growing? Am I growing in love? Am I growing in joy? Am I growing in peace? Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if your answer to any one of those things is no, then my question to you today is, what are you doing about it? What are you going to do about it? We should be growing in all of these things as a unit, not just in some, but not in others. But you might say, like Phil and I could say, we're getting a bit old for all of this. We're a bit of an old tree. We can't bear much fruit. We're getting a bit past it. But Scripture says differently. Psalm, eight, Psalm eight, uh, 92 says this, They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. That's for us, Phil. We're going to bear fruit. We're going to be fresh and we're going to be green. There is a fruitfulness in old age. You see, when you look at trees and you look at a young tree coming up, a young sapling, the the sapling doesn't really bear much or any fruit at all. It's the mature tree that bears the fruit. You you almost don't expect the young tree, as it's growing up, to bear any fruit at all because it's, it's only a baby sort of thing on that. But when you see a mature tree, you expect to see faithfulness. Mature trees are often laden with fruit year after year after year. We're looking for maturity in people. Maturity which brings a fruitfulness year after year after year. The fruit of the Spirit in particular. We need to consider the quality of the fruit as God's not satisfied with wild, low-quality fruit. You can go out sometimes and you can see blackberries in the countryside. And very often they can be very small, they can be very hard. Or you can see those uh, little apple trees that they have there sometimes. They're they're very small and bitter sometimes. God's looking for well-cultivated, really lush, beautiful lovely tasting as it were fruit he's looking for regular unfailing and fresh produce also is our fruit is it reaching out to others 
Is it blessing others? The fruit of our lives reveals our inner state with God. For example, is our love sincere and genuine from the heart? Is our peace beyond rational understanding? And is our joy unspeakable and full of glory? Is it unstoppable? Genesis 49, and a few verses in there. This is all about the blessings, uh, in particular the blessing that was given to, to Joseph. And Joseph received a blessing about being a fruitful bough. Genesis 49, 22 and 26. He was told that he would be, prophesied that he would be a fruitful bough, which is by a spring, where springs from the water of life water the roots we need to be we need to be those people that build our lives having that refreshing life-giving water connected to the spirit of God the water of life the water of life feeding us on a regular basis it says no obstacle will be able to stand in the way of such fruit bearing and whatever wall or harassment or any barrier that's put up the fruit will still come forth in crop no matter what happens to us, we will still be fruitful because we're planted by the rivers of life, the God-given river of life by the Spirit of God. God gives his mighty and eternal blessings to such fruit. What about the fruit? But also, what about the soil? Because very often it's the type of soil or the type of ground that goes in that we will find that will bring forth that harvest. Turn with me to Matthew 13. This is the parable of the sower. But you remember that I said that uh, fruitfulness requires obedience. Just before the parable of the sower in Matthew 12 and verse 50, it says this, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. There is a need for obedience again. Obedience is emphasized here right at the beginning of this parable. So as you look through the parable of the sower, in Matthew 13, ask yourselves, am I a footpath? Is my life like a footpath, trodden down and walked over by other people? You don't understand God's word. You treat it with contempt. Ignore it, forgetting about it as soon as you hear it. Do you go away from this place saying, I don't understand the word that's being said, and you get to the outside the door and you've forgotten everything that's been said and everything that's happened to you? Perhaps you think, I'd rather things were left alone and we didn't stir this up and I didn't have all, all this, these things going off. I'd rather the status quo was to remain and we left things quietly as they were. 
Do you picture an icebreaker? Can you picture the icebreaker, the ship going through the ice? It breaks through the ice, the sharpness at the bow of the ship breaks through the ice. But there's a natural tendency at the back for the ice to come and to form again and to go back to the status quo. Is that your life? Would you, do you like things quiet and undisturbed with nothing much happening? Or perhaps you like the stony ground. You look very good on the surface, washed and polished up. You come in your smart clothes on a Sunday morning and you look fine and everything looks wonderful, just as my tree looked wonderful. On the surface, you look good, but you're quite shallow with a hard layer underneath. You receive God's worth quickly, quickly respond, but because there's no depth in your life, there's no depth to your Christian life, then what is planted quickly dies away. You see, deep roots indicate depth and obedience. They indicate a spiritual maturity for when testing times come. And believe me, I believe testing times will come. We're beginning to see something of that. We're beginning to see a measure of persecution in the Christian church already. And testing times, more testing times will come. For many people, those testing times have come already and their, their job, their life, everything is turned upside down because of the challenges that have been facing them. But if we've got our roots deep down, deep down in the soil, and connected to that water of life, which is the Spirit of God, that when testing times come, when persecution comes, then we'll find that we have a persevering faith and obedience. And that's what's required during these times. You see, it's easy to say that God is good when everything's going fine. But can we still say God is good when things don't go to plan? And bad things do happen to us. Or are you the sort of soil where there are lots of weeds around? Lots of thorns in your life. And some things look good. Some of these things that grow up around in the soil, they look good at first. And they may, may appear to be growing fruit. But they get choked up by the cares of life. Things come upon us which choke us up and distract us. What behaviour patterns do we need to let go of? What unpleasant emotions are causing us problems? And what wrong thinking in our lives needs to be changed? The worries of this life have become so great that they can easily divert us away from that faithful obedience that is required. The lure of wealth in particular has the ability to deceive and to make us unfruitful. Or are we the good soil in which God can grow and in which God can produce a bountiful harvest for his glory? Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8 
says that those that trust in the Lord are like trees that are planted along a river bank and whose roots reach deep into the water. They're not worried by long months of drought and their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That's where we want to be. That's what we want to be like. And similarly with Ezekiel's vision there in Ezekiel 47, that life-giving river which was flowing from the throne of God, it all comes from God. It all comes from God. He's the source of everything, the source of life. And that river which flows out from the temple brings wonderful blessings. We find that we've got trees which produce fruit, yielding fruit year after year after year. Not only that, but they yield it month after month after month. With us, we've got to wait for one year to come. We come to the season of fruit. We come for the season that now is the time of the fruitfulness, the autumn, when we've got the pears and we've got the apples. We've got to wait for this time. But in God's provision, in God's ways, this fruitfulness is there on a regular basis. It's month after month after month. That's what it will be like when we go to glory. There will be trees planted there which give fruit month after month. The life-giving river brings concrete blessings yielding fruit every month. So let's draw near to Jesus, just like the early disciples did, and seek to discover the plans, his plans for our lives. Ask him to make clear what he's saying and what this means to you. How can you be fruitful? God wants you to experience a revelation that comes to you with such a power that the truth radically impacts your lives in such a way that will leave you changed forever. God loves us so much that no matter what we can do and what we don't do, he'll still love us. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay as we are. He wants us to be changed. And what happens here, what happens in your lives needs to impact you in such a way that you will be radically changed forever. There will be an ongoing change taking place in your life. And I pray, I pray that each one of you will be really good soil and produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Amen. Thank you very much, Doug.